The Main Character Podcast is where we celebrate that everyone is a main character of their own intricate lives, challenges, passion, and experience. So first, can you tell me a little bit about your background? What did you go to school for? What were you thinking about doing after school when, when you're at university? Of course. So in university, I majored in finance. Um, and this is because it was something I was interested in at the time. I really loved personal finance and learning how to invest in the stock market. But um, towards the end of my third or fourth year, I started figuring out what do I want to do. And um, what most people end up doing with that um, degree is they go into investment banking or they go into corporate finance. But I knew personally, I really wanted a job that would let me travel or work remotely. So I had to start thinking, how can I take my knowledge of finance and how can I set myself up for a job that'll let me work remotely? And um, I started thinking about it and realized that if you mix like finance and you mix like marketing, marketing is something you can do really remote. And then I started kind of diving into the combination of it. And essentially what I ended up coming out with is um, financial content marketing, um, content writing, and uh, kind of like SEO stuff for these financial companies. So what I do now as a job is essentially I bring traffic to financial companies, uh, sell consumer-based financial products, whether it be mortgages, credit cards, or insurance. So to say it another way, you write content for companies. They put it on their website. That content drives traffic, which then turns into uh, prank customers. Exactly. So it's essentially a top of funnel strategy to uh, start bringing in traffic from Google and start ranking on Google. And then you get people familiar with your brand and uh, they'll likely turn into paying customers. Interesting. And how many people, like, I'm just trying to think of numbers here. How many people do you think read a piece of your content or, or, or what would be a number that might be helpful to understand volume? So the company I work for, um, I think they've been a blog for maybe about three to five years now. And we're getting about like 700,000 visitors per month. Um, And that's mainly focused on a Canadian website we have. And then we also have a American affiliate. So you have a blog, primarily Canadian an affiliate in Canada, I'm sorry, affiliate in the States. Mm -hmm. And that blog, you're just pumping out content. So it's you and a whole team of people that are just writing and it's specifically finance content or is there a sub niche? Um, So the thing is, when you want to start a blog, you want to start on a specific subject um, and a subject that not many people are talking about. Um, We began with writing about real estate and mortgages um, and you want to become strong in one subject to begin with. Um, and you want Google to think that you're like really good at this one subject. And the more niche the subject is, the the faster you'll start getting traffic. Um, and after that, once you have credibility in one subject, you can start branching off. So we started uh, writing about mortgages, um, mm. and and then we kind of branched into uh, insurance for real estate. And uh, now we're getting kind of broadly into credit cards. Um, savings accounts and personal finance based uh, articles. Got it. So you're doing a lot of different verticals now that are in parallel to what you guys started with, with mortgage and which of those yeah. things you focus on? Like, do you have a specific one that you focus on or do you do all of them? Uh, for the Canadian website, I write about personal finance. So mainly about like credit cards and uh, 
personal lending products, like lines mm-hmm. of credit, stuff like this. Um, but for the American one, the American website is a bit behind the Canadian one, and we're still focused on the real estate and kind of carving out a niche for us there. And then eventually, as we kind of build more traffic and trust on the American website, we'll start growing into personal finance and insurance and stuff. Oh, understood. And, and is a lot of this content brand new? Or like, how do you come up with what an idea is for a new blog that you're going to write? For a new article, yeah? Yeah, a new article. Um, so the best way to approach writing article subjects is you need to do keyword research. You need to see kind of, so there's two tools you can use, really. There's SCMrush and there's Ahrefs. I think they both have kind of like a freemium model, which the free version is usually more than enough. But um, to begin with, when you're starting a blog from fresh, you want to look at long tail keywords. So essentially stuff that maybe doesn't have so much traffic, but because it's, it doesn't have much traffic, it's glossed over by the bigger guys. Um, it's, it's not worth their time. So it's less competitive. And that's where you can come in and start writing articles about these subjects, answering people's questions relating to this keyword and um, kind of start carving out your niche, right? And then growing from there. And then eventually over some time, as your domain becomes more credible in the eyes of Google, you can start targeting keywords that have more volume and uh, that are more competitive. Um, mm. But you're, you're really limited by this thing called um, your domain authority which is how trustworthy your website is in the eyes of Google. And if you'd have a low domain authority, then there's no point in targeting competitive keywords because you're just going to get destroyed by the the people with higher domain authorities. Start where they're not fishing, essentially. Got it. And so when you say long, long chain, long, Long I'm sorry, long tail keywords, what does that mean? Um, These are usually uh, keywords that um, are more focused. So for example, uh, there's two ends of the spectrum. There's a fathead, which is a a keyword that's searched frequently. It's very competitive. And there's a long tail, which is more niche. So for example, let's say we're talking about like plane tickets. A fathead keyword would be like plane tickets. It's you get a lot of um, search volume for this. It's probably a very competitive keyword, but if you're targeting the keyword, let's say plane tickets to Mexico City for a cruise, or I don't know, you know, you just niche it down. Got it. And, so it's like the, more specific. Exactly. The point of niching it down is you have less competition and uh, you can provide better content at that level. Mm-hmm. And then you can start growing and growing. And then over time, you can start develop. you can start going towards the more competitive keywords. You know, you can go from these flights to Mexico City to just like plane flights, right? Hmm. So it's like uh, once you want to grow, you want to take over a foothold. Because the other option I'm imagining, Mm -hmm. just based on what what you're discussing, is that if you spread yourself too thin or you start competing in in something that's too competitive, you're you're wasting time. You're never going to get an initial audience and that's not going to allow you to scale, right? So you're not it's going to be doing nothing essentially. And that's a mistake that the company I work for has made on the American website was they, they targeted the uh, competitive keywords too quickly. Mm. Is there and, a, and, sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, they targeted too quickly and uh, I don't think they made 
content that um, was competitive enough to rank on that keyword. Because if your domain authority is low, if you want to compete for a keyword, your content has to be exceptional. Right. Okay. And how do you know when your content is exceptional? I can tell you how Google kind of use content. Um, they look at how many links you're getting from other websites, other high quality websites. Mm. So if your article is so good that Forbes is linking to it, then I mean, Google thinks this is a great article. It'll rank higher, you know, maybe like second or third, second or third rank on Google, maybe in mm. first. Um, and the other thing that they look at is how long are people spending on your, on your webpage after they click. It's called the bounce rate. So, I mean, if people are spending a lot of time on your webpage, that means it's engaging. Um, it's answering people's questions, right? Which Google likes. Um, and it's so good it's getting referred to by other websites, you know? It's like a work of art. Mm. So it's it's both about understanding the algorithm. And then I'm kind of speculating here. You tell me if this is correct. It's also about the psychology, right? about mm -hmm. how to tap into the way that people think about the problem and to present answers in a way that's both compelling and, and again, matches what we need out of the algorithm. Would you say that's yep. accurate to this degree? Yeah, and uh, one way we kind of do that is to make articles very visual um, mm. because it'll get people to spend more time. Um, also, McKinsey has a very interesting approach to answering questions. Um, and I'm just making this connection on the spot now, but when McKinsey, this consultant company, they present to you the answer to your question, they present the answer first. This is what people are really like looking for, mm. right? And then after that, they'll start like kind of backing it up and like, why is this the answer? So, I mean, an example for real estate, it's like, what is the current mortgage rate or what is the current prime rate of the Federal Reserve Bank? We'll put that right at the top answers their question and then maybe they want to read a bit more about it. Mm. So it's kind of like they use the, they use the result as the hook, which may be inverse to how you, how somebody might think about writing something if they didn't have kind of a practice or skill set beyond it. Yeah. Um, I mean, people have really short attention spans. So I mean, putting the answer right at the top, this is the way that I see the psychology is that maybe people are like, okay, you know, these guys have my answer and maybe I want to read a bit more about it. Hmm. Okay, so there's another way of saying that, which is like maybe the degree of people, like there's X number of people who want to see that answer, and a mm -hmm. subsection of it care about why. And so you can attract more people by providing, you can provide more value to more people by giving the, the most valuable part up top. And then for the people who want to read into it, yeah. you know, they continue to do so. Yeah, and I feel like there's also maybe something to do with Google that, um, mm -hmm they'll see uh, people, they go on the webpage, they get their answer, and then they're maybe done with their session. I guess they were happy or something. And then they're not like flipping around to other web pages. This is just a theory, you know, hmm. but. Um, it's an interesting world we live in where uh, algorithms and like just the cyber, like the technology is integrating with our own minds to create the things that we do. And so like we have to think about the relationships between the two of them. Is yeah, is the is the algorithm at least in terms of how you work day to day? Do you find that the algorithm changes a significant, significantly enough or at a high enough pace where you have to keep track of it, or is it something that just is is relatively steady and you have to know updates every once in a while? 
so you know the 80 20 rule right like 20 percent of the work results in 80 percent of the results uh the algorithm i'd say is not so important to know i mean after you know what i focus on is making good content answering people's questions effectively in a compelling way and making it visual and digestible and in the long term this is what google wants right google wants to engage the the searchers and answer their questions i mean from day to day like if there's an algorithm change sure in the short term it'll affect my article ranking but in the long term it usually climbs back um and there's some people who just focus on all these little like algorithm hacks you know like uh like keyword stuffing or, or making their articles full of a lot of fluff okay maybe this will work for like this version of the algorithm but in the long term like look at what google's intentions are and just help them help their customers you know interesting when you are writing a blog or you're writing mm -hmm. a article for a blog what is your process so you kind of told me the beginning of it you start with a question and you kind of frame it out but walk me through both the time frame and kind of the mental steps that you take to go from beginning to end yeah so uh usually i'm assigned a topic um afterwards i do some keyword research on the topic which is like what questions are people asking um how much search volume does each uh, question have uh, so I'll use a tool like SCMrush or Ahrefs to kind of look at these keywords. And then I'll structure my article in a way that answers the most important questions that are getting searched the most um, and go kind of uh, section by section by section. And so this will be the general outline of my article, like the headings, stuff like this, answering people's questions, because this is what they're searching for to have the questions answered. Um, and then after I have the outline, I'll do some more research um, and look at the competing articles, like the first, second, third articles that are ranking for these keywords on Google and see how they approached writing about the topic. So usually it's like Investopedia for me. See what are they writing about? What kind of headlines do they have? Are they writing about anything that I'm not writing about, you know? And then um, afterwards, you just kind of go and fill in the blanks. You have the outline, you have the knowledge, and then you just go and you answer people's questions um, concisely, uh, visually. Um, yeah. How long does it take for like that whole process you just described? Is this like a day? Is this a week? Is it like a few weeks? It really depends on how many um, words the article has to be. So something that Google also compares articles on is how many words do they have? Um, so, you know, if the competing articles all have like 3000 words, if my article is 1,000 words, Google's probably gonna think I'm not talking about anything, you know, and I'm missing stuff out. So really I try to get similar to the competing articles. I mean, like a 3,000 word article can take, depends on how complex the subject is, like maybe like five, six days. If it's a simple subject, I can usually crank out, let's say like a thousand words and uh, an infographic and edit it in like a day and a half, you know? Okay, that, that's pretty quick. And, and when you're writing these articles, do you have you developed kind of an innate sense of when one of them is going to be successful? Or are you often surprised by which ones are successful and which ones aren't? Um, 
It really just comes down to how clearly can I communicate the subject and how easy can I make it to understand. So mm -hmm. the articles that I can create a lot of infographics for and create like tables for and bullet points and communicate information this way, they tend to do quite well. Got it. So it's like really topic based and then your ability to describe it in a way that's like very clean. And why is that? So that's what mm -hmm. happens is that somebody clicks on it, they read through it, they enjoy it. Does it matter if they, I mean, I sh I'm assuming it's part of the algorithm, but they share it. But is that a big part or is that just a small thing? The algorithm looks at that. I think it's a pretty important thing that mm. the, they look at how long are people spending on the Web page. And, um, you know, we're kind of in a bit of a transitory period. Most articles you search right now, they're like very paragraph heavy, very text heavy with huge long paragraphs. And, you know, we're in an age where people have short attention spans. Even if I see a long paragraph, like an article, just huge paragraphs, I'll just like close it. I don't want to read that. I want something that's pretty, that's colorful, that has short, short paragraphs, you know, no more than five sentences per paragraph. And that keeps people's attention span especially if it's visual and that encourages them to read longer and this will look good in the eyes of the algorithm. Mm, very interesting. Um, so it's in, the visual component of this is really important and, and use like mm -hmm. when you talk about infographics, can you maybe describe to me what like, an example would be like, is it, is it a colorful graph? Is it, what would it look like? Um, I'll use colorful graphs. I'll use colorful tables uh, to compare different subjects. Um, usually when I refer to an infograph, I, 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 I'm talking about something that I created from Canva. So I just use the Canva templates and um, essentially use the template as a way to summarize the article. So let's say like uh, maybe I'm writing an article about a home equity line of credit, a HELOC. I'll create a little infographic and put it at the top. It's important that it's at the top because it catches people's eyes. and um, have the infographics say like five ways a HELOC can help you, you know, it's pretty, it gets people's attention and encourages them to read. Mm, very interesting. When you, um, when you're writing, like, do you think that these articles that you're writing, do you think you could easily transfer this to a different industry? Or do you think that like building up that knowledge base would be difficult or is it kind of like, like which one would you say? So the approach I have can definitely be transferred to any, any industry. Um, the only thing is, it would take me longer to write about a different industry because I don't know so much about the subject. Mm. With finance, I can like just write stuff really quickly because I know most of it inside out, right? But if I'm writing about like medical or like a medicine, this would uh, take me quite a bit of research. So it would definitely slow me down. And um, even if it's something like legal or medicine, I feel like there's a lot of pressure to ensure everything is very correct. Mm. So obviously spend a lot of time afterwards ensuring the accuracy, which I do with my articles too. Yeah. And when you, when you're writing these articles, like, is it mostly for like direct to consumer, like basically individuals are reading this or is it people that are at work reading it? What would you say? Like, is it something that people would read similar to the news or is it hard to say? Um, we actually get a lot of traffic during the work day, which is interesting. Mm. Um, we're writing for consumers, but our customers are businesses. So we're a B to B to C. I think that's what mm -hmm. it is. 
essentially, yeah, we're writing for the end users, the people who want to learn more about personal finance and um, bring them onto our website. And then we have affiliate partnerships with like mortgage companies and stuff like this. So B2B2C is business to business to consumer. What you guys are doing, if I understand correctly, is you are creating a bunch of content for consumers, but the people who pay you are businesses. And the reason they pay you is because these consumers click a link in yeah. your articles that then goes to their business. And then so they, you're basically creating content for them. We're creating content and traffic for them. So I guess this would be business to consumer to business, maybe. Interesting. <laughs> um, I've never heard this buzzword before. <laughs> yeah, and 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 do you feel as if um, this is something that you need a whole team to build to in, in order to have success, or is this something like let's say for tomorrow you stopped you know, for whatever reason and you created your own blog, something you had expertise in that you could move similarly quickly? Mm-hmm. Do you think that it'd be easy enough to build something up, or is there a moat around? what it takes to be able to build the volume, in which case you really need a team to, to do this at scale. So it really depends on the keywords that you're targeting and the niche mm-hmm. that you're in. Um, we talked earlier about the fat heads and the long tail. I mean, the beauty of starting with a long tail is the competition's low. You know, you can make all the content yourself. You can use like WordPress, stuff like this. But as you start scaling into the more competitive keywords, the fat heads, you need a team behind it, you know? Um, I'm just a writer. I don't know how to do like front end, um, web design. I, I use my developers to make like interactive graphs and we'll make like calculators with each other. This is not something I could do on my own, you know? Um, interesting. And we make these, um, these calculators, these graphs for our more competitive uh, keywords that we're targeting or more competitive articles. Because if you have like an interactive graph or you have an interactive calculator, obviously people are going to be spending more time on the article and this looks good to Google. So. Right. So the, so really you're trying to buy, it's kind of interesting if you think of a big picture, like you're buying people's mm-hmm. time or like you're, you're, you're trying to be entertaining while also being yeah. valuable so that you can capture people's time because time translates to money in a very real sense in this way. But that, mm-hmm. and is the reason why, because, the more people pay attention to it, the more value there is, the higher it's ranked and the higher it's ranked, the higher percentage of the people who click through it eventually become buyers, right? Yeah. We're um, in the attention game. We're in the game of attention. Do you, and this is kind of a big picture question, but do you see any trends? I mean, you talked about these bullet points and kind of shorter, more concise content. Are there mm-hmm. other trends that you see happening in the near future or the, or the farther future? in this industry that that may be something to keep an eye on? Yeah. Um, So it's all about taking information and making it more digestible um, to help with the attention spans of people these days. So some websites are approaching that by making like videos, little like cartoons to kind of explain a subject. Mm. Some websites are approaching it by having um, like a listenable button at the top, you know? And uh, you can just kind of put your laptop or phone down and, and it'll speak the article to you. So Interesting. These are, yeah. So these are all the new ways that people are finding to effectively communicate information with each other, you know? Right. Because at the end of the day, what I mean, we're as a species, we've evolved to communicate in a way that's really quite elaborate. And, and I mean, I think it arguably much more precise than other species. 
or at least mm-hmm. that's, that's how it's perceived. That's how I perceive it. And this is just an evolution of that. We're using technology to get people information about whatever they may do. I mean, everything's out there, right? Like really, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'd imagine that almost any concept you can think of has some ecosystem in terms of people trying to monetize content direction right and around it. And that's the beauty of the internet and these long tail keywords is there's some obscure niches that people have blogs for and um, they're making money from it. And you don't even have to have affiliate partners, right? You can just use Google, Google, uh, what's the name? Not Google AdWords where Google puts the ads on your website. Hmm. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name at the top of my head other than Google AdWords, but the, so here's another question for you, which is like, what, what kind of money are we talking? especially because I imagine a lot of the people that listen to this are not in a position where they're going to be, you know, hiring 15 people, 15 specialists to be able to build this out. Right. But there may Mm -hmm. be quite a number of people who are interested in getting started and imagining where the direction could go with this if they could, because you have to start somewhere. So let's say for instance, somebody spent six months, really did a good cadence, built out a content, did all the best practices, had a blog that successfully scaled. I mean, if that's reasonable within specific niche, how, how would you think about the range of, of the return or, or what the factors would be for them to be able to get some money out of it? Um, first of all, it really depends on the niche you're in. Some traffic's just more valuable than other traffic. And that has to do with the economics of each industry and the customer acquisition costs. So for example, financial traffic, um, and mortgages, the, um, the lifetime value of having a mortgage customer is just so high. So the mortgage companies are willing to pay a lot to get this traffic driven to them, right? Now, if you're something in like men's fashion or something, um, say you drive a customer to your men's fashion brand, like maybe they're spending like, let's say like $100 buy some clothes. Maybe they spend $100 like every year, right? If you're talking about mortgages, you're talking about like, probably thousands of dollars every like every few years because they renew their mortgage. Um, and you can kind of look at a proxy for this by looking at um, the cost per click based off certain industries. Mm. Um, so the tops usually like legal, finance, I think like medicine too. Um, and as a content writer, you can get paid more in these um, industries too because they're more complex. There's less people who can understand them and who can effectively communicate and write about them. So the, the higher the ticket price in the industry and the more complex of the industry, the more the ecosystem is going to be, there's going to be more value. Is there a component of this in term that I don't know if this is significant, but I'm just speculating here that like in a really, in an ecosystem, there'd be an opposite pressure where there's a lot of people competing for it. Or is it just the fact that there's a unit economics that kind of balances? Like at some point you're willing to pay for it and at some point you're not, right? So I can imagine that that's, a, that's part of it as well. So, I mean, you can, you can think of this as supply and demand. Um, from the demand side, the, the businesses um, who are paying for the traffic, it depends. Their demand is directly related to the lifetime value of the customers, right? So if we're talking about men's fashion, and the customers pay hundred dollars every every let's say every year as we talked about earlier 
they're not going to be willing to pay so much for men's fashion to bring in men's fashion traffic, right? Because right. the, 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 the traffic is just less valuable to them. Um, and at the same time, if it's something that's a bit easier to understand, like men's fashion, on the supply side, you have a lot of writers who are willing to kind of write about the subject. Um, so essentially, if it's something like this, you have the perfect storm for companies aren't willing to pay much. And you have a lot of writers who are kind of commodifying themselves and bringing down their wages. Now, if you have something where the businesses are willing to pay more, again, like legal medicine finance, and it's a bit more of a complex subject, you have a scarcity of supply of writers and you have from the demand side, uh, the businesses that are willing to pay more. Um, so this is kind of the higher value traffic that you can drive and it's, you're just better positioned. Essentially learn, a, yeah, essentially learn a complex subject in a valuable industry. And it has to do with high margins, right? Like the, cause that's what we're talking about. This yeah. cost, cost of customers, like yep. if lawyers, mortgages, all these things where there's a there's enough money to be able to invest it into this marketing channel yeah and i mean as we we're talking about earlier the long tail keywords don't only like target like lawyers you know kind of niche down into that let's say lawyers for even lawyers for divorces is kind of broad you know what i mean though right you keep niching down you keep niching down and um you can become the best in that niche and I don't know if there's if you have an answer to this, but I'm just curious: is when you're niching down, does it make sense to niche per geo, like divorce lawyers in Colorado, or is it niche per like a very subsection, like um, uh, I don't know, divorce lawyers with when alum, with alimony? Like I don't I don't know. I, that's probably a difficult example to get into, but yeah. I don't know. So Do you have any I'd insights on the two of those? I'd tell you how I would approach this um you look at the keywords and you look at how much traffic that keyword is bringing it could be based off the region or for like alimony you know see what people are searching and see how competitive it is to how competitive that keyword is and um niche down as much as you can so maybe you're only getting like 50 monthly searches for this keyword if it's not competitive then just start there and you can just scale up you know Say you're starting in Georgia because it's not competitive, then you move to, where else could you move to? I know, another another city in the US. And then you start well, you're, building You're traction. Canadian, right? So <laughs> I'm trying to get I'm you to cities in the US. Where, where are thinking, Canada specifically from? I grew up just outside of Toronto. Hmm. Um, and then you're in Lisbon right now, Lisbon, Portugal, which is where we met. I am, yeah. And, um, how long have you lived in Lisbon? Uh, so last year, I spent about three months here. And then this year, I've also spent about three months. It goes by fast, but I'm becoming a full-on resident of Portugal. Um, and I'll be spending about nine more months here. Wow. That's exciting. And then nine more months on top of the three you just spent. And mm -hmm. then question mark or back to Canada? What happens after that? I'm sure I'll be restless to do some remote work travel again after that. Um, but the thing is, every year I have to spend around six months in Portugal to maintain my residency. So I'll be doing some travel for six months and then six months in, in Portugal, which will be nice. Well, that sounds like quite the lifestyle. And it's an exciting part about this story when we're talking about 
content writing because you mm -hmm. specifically identified, pursued, and accomplished a thing that you was both in your zone of excellence, but also something you got really good at and then allows you to live this lifestyle that I imagine lots of people would love to have the option of, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you think, like, would you say it was difficult? To, I mean, I, and nothing's easy, but would you say that it was particularly difficult? Is this something that you think a lot of people could figure out themselves? Is like, look, reflecting back, do you think this is a path you would choose again? A hundred percent. To answer that last question, a hundred percent, I would do it again. Um, you just meet the greatest people. I mean, just the fact to be working in a remote city, um, just some hoops you jump through. So it kind of filters out the people who aren't willing to jump through those hoops or take that risk. So you just end up meeting like the coolest, most positive people that are all doing interesting stuff with their life, right? Like that's how I met you here in Lisbon. Um, and what was the beginning part of your question? I'm just curious about like, let's say that I'm somebody who is analogous to you three years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, I don't know what I want to do. I have some skill sets. What would your advice be in terms of like, is this an option that's relatively easy to pursue? How can you think about pursuing it? Is it worthwhile to pursue? Like just trying to give that person some advice to think about um, the path that you took. So obviously step one is finding a remote uh, friendly income source. Um, and I'd say you'd have an easier time finding a remote income source if um well first of all your job has to be remote friendly so usually this entails like marketing or, or like consulting or something along the lines of this i mean i essentially work in digital marketing right uh, content marketing um so think of a job that could essentially be done remote and um i'd say if the job is um, there's more of a labor, uh, like a lack of labor supply, qualified labor, and you have more leverage leverage to kind of work remotely, if you know what I mean, right? Um, I think one, I think one of the reasons that I was able to work remotely is, um, well, a, I was looking for jobs that theoretically could be done remotely in different countries. At the time, my job was not supposed to be done in different countries. Um, but I knew I knew finance and I knew I knew how to teach and kind of communicate and um, just had a good application, right? And so just negotiated with them, you know, let me live in like another country um, and just try and really excel. Um, you have to earn the right to work remotely. And uh, yeah, if you're good, they'll let you do it. Uh, do a lot of the people you work with today work remotely or are they back in Toronto? Most of my friends now are here in Lisbon, so we're all working remotely. But the people I grew up with, I'd say maybe like two in a hundred are maybe working in different, working remotely in different countries. And I, when you're living, and I kind of think I know the answer to this because I, I know you personally, but it's just interesting to discuss, which is the question is, how do you find community? I think a lot of people live in a city, they build relationships, they build friends and they're like, Hey, there's some things I don't like about this place, but like, mm -hmm. I really care about people. People are super important to me. Moving to a new city sounds like I'm going to be lonely. I don't want to be lonely. Like how, and you, I, you know, the, the time that I've known you, you've seen like you've been very social, but I, I know as somebody who's also done, you know, similar things is that it's kind of a back and forth and there's strategies there to kind of think about, 
What have you found success in? Um, so the big picture is put yourself in environments where you're going to make other friends, um, whether it be other remote work friends or local friends, whatever type of friends you're interested in making. Now, the way that we both made other remote work friends is we stayed in a co-living, right? So I don't know if you wanted to explain it or you want me to explain this concept a bit more, but it's a very easy way to make remote friends. Yeah, and I, I've talked about it before on the podcast, like the co-living specifically outside was the one we met at. Okay. And uh, I think we met at outside or did we meet at Selena? Outside. Outside. Um, that's right. And so essentially it's a, it's a number of different people that all live in a, well, and essentially it's an apartment building in Lisbon. Sometimes it's a house mm -hmm. or a mansion. Um, I'm actually living in one right now with a, I'm living in Mexico. There's like living in the house. Yeah, no, I'm not, I did stay at the outside. That one's huge. Um, I would definitely recommend it if you ever go to Mexico City. I'm uh, doing remote year right now. And so I'm here oh, cool. uh, with a house that they put us up in. And it's been an interesting experience. But you, like you said, you meet a lot of really interesting people. You meet people who have stacked ranked their priorities in such a way where exploring the world is higher than it, you know, I mean, obviously, but like higher than it would be for a lot of people back home. Yep. And I think that those people that that tends to have a correlation to. Sorry, I lost you there for a sec. That tends to have a correlation yeah. with people who are interested in new experiences and doing new things. And, and those are all things that I find both like personally exciting and yeah. tends to be interesting people. We all have the same passions. Uh, we all love to travel. We all love to kind of be flexible in our lives, experience new things. And uh, you just kind of find your tribe in these kind of environment i i have one kind of last category of questions for you what i'm curious about is 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 the future right and specifically like when you think about both living in lisbon and being able to live and travel the world and growing something that is scaling i mean you're part of a company now that's scaling you have a skill set to be able to scale companies what are some aspirations or things that are hovering around your head that you're excited about that may represent futures that, that, um, you know, five years from now, you might listen to this and be like, wow, this, and it's, there's all these other different paths, right? So it's nothing necessarily specific, but things that you're excited about. Um, I'm excited that I stumbled upon the significance of content, um, and it's a particular form of marketing. I think it's the best type of marketing you can do. Um, a, because it has a, a very long-term shelf life. You know, you just write the article once and it continues to bring in traffic for you. Um, as opposed to Google or Facebook ads where you're just paying for them every day, however many hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's more scalable in my opinion, um, requires less cash. And B, content, you know, it builds a lot of brand trust um, uh, and, uh, I think that will end up in the long term increasing businesses. So I think that's, that's, that's awesome. That's interesting. That's exciting. Um, if somebody is thinking about starting a blog, mm -hmm. how many articles should they get out of a month or a week just to get started? What would be a good goal for an amateur? Who's like, Hey, I want to give this a, a solid shot but I don't want to get ahead of myself and set goals that are, that are too ambitious. You know, as many as you can be consistent with, because with content writing and SEO, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. You probably won't see results until like six months or maybe even a year. 
So you need something sustainable and that varies by the person. Now, with that being said, aim for like one, one blog a week. This is quite manageable on top of like a full-time job, you know, and uh, one to 2000 word article on top of your full-time job. Um, make an infographic, make it visual, you know, include those bullet points, include those tables. And obviously make sure that it's for a long tail keyword. You heard it here first, folks. Daniel, really appreciate your time. This is awesome. I'm excited about this. I'd also would love to do episode number two sometime in the future and talk yeah. about the many adventures that we've both had together and had separately. Yeah, yeah. Always a pleasure talking with you, Zan.